<clears throat> so um, today is really a special Sunday. Um, we're going to be uh, going back to Ephesians soon and finishing up chapter 5 and, and part of 6. We're actually going to be doing a, a bit of a family series uh, that will last a few weeks. Um, and so we're looking forward to that. That will probably be about three weeks away. And, um, but after last Sunday, we came home and we shared about our trip to Nepal with y'all. And, uh, man, you know, we had nine people, or I guess it was seven people up on the stage. And we were trying to talk as fast as we could and tell stories as fast as we could. And we had 350 pictures. It's like, did you guys get all that? You know, and it's like, kind of, you know. And uh, a few of us were talking after church just about, you know, um, we want to kind of just slow down just for a minute, okay? And we want to look at, um, like, why, why are we doing this? Um, why are a bunch of people from Prineville um, saving up finances all year long and getting their bodies prepared to trek and raising money and saving their tax uh, refund and um, using all their vacation for that year and then going to the exact opposite end of the world and as high up as you can get on the exact opposite end of the world and like barely making it up a hill and falling down and barfing their guts out and getting diarrhea on a squatty potty that just won't stop and then trying to keep trekking after that and trekking with the vongs and throwing up as you're trying to get a breather trek, you know, while you're trying, and just, I mean, and then, you know, getting parasites and coming back with worms, and what are we doing? Like, there's got to be somewhere else, there's got to be another way, there's got to be a cheaper place, there's got to be an easier place. Come on. And I'd say, let's find it, and let's get there. <laughs> and let's put our flag in the ground so no one else can have it. Just some good questions, though, last week of why there? <clears throat> why these people? Why the Nepalis? Or why people like the Nepalis? And so we want to just be able to just take this week, next week, and, and maybe just be done just with this little series from there. But we want to look at the word, and we want to look at social implications from the word, and we want to look at spiritual implications from the word. And so we're going to just go and we're going to look at the Great Commission and we're going to look at God's heart for the nations just in a capsule type form. Um, we've done many teachings on this. We've done many in-depth teachings on this that you can listen to online. But I just want to break it up into just very quickly. What's the commission? What is the mission that God's given us? How far back in human history does it go and how far forward into human uh, history does it go? Um, what is going on in the places that the commissions never made it or the gospels never made it? And where does Nepal kind of fit in to all of this? And so can we take that clock and let's start it over again, okay? Promise you guys, I'm going to stop when the clock stops, but... Um, we started it when Shannon was speaking, and technically that was like an announcement. And so, um, <laughs> just buying myself some time, that's all. 
But um, so this week we're going to look at those things. Next week we're going to look at uh, what's the deal with Buddhism? Is it really such a big deal? Is it really so bad? Is it really something that we need to like give our lives to penetrate with the gospel? What's the deal with Hinduism? Let's look at that and let's look at what is the Holy Spirit doing even through our three-year ministry to these places where specifically Tibetan Buddhism is um, like saturated the, the world and the culture there. And so um, please like be here next week. Um, and listen to last week's message where you'll hear our testimonies from uh, the trip if you weren't here last week. So let's go to Matthew chapter 28. And uh, can you guys give me 49 minutes? Okay. Like, you don't need to worry. Like, how long is it going to go? I'm starting to sweat. I got, okay, give me 48 minutes and 50 seconds. Okay. And, um, and then we want to just be able to not feel like we got to get through it all today. And so then we'll, we'll move on just from wherever I'm at next Sunday. So in Matthew 28, 18, we have the last words of Jesus while he's here on the earth. These are important words. I mean, it's the last face-to-face -face contact he's going to have with his disciples after he's risen from the dead. Final words are the most important words. And he says... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, a lot of times we skip this verse when we talk about the Great Commission. That's a great error. We, we wanna, before we get into the Great Commission of go therefore and make disciples, we want to make sure we know we've got the backing of the risen Savior who's been vindicated with his life and his death through the resurrection, and he's just about to go into homecoming mode where he's brought through the gates of heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father. And so this is the guy that's, that's conquered and has had the stamp of the Holy God, the Father, upon his life. His sacrifice has been sufficient, and now he's been given a scepter of power and authority, and it's all his. So from that point on, this mission that he gives, it's better than a mission to the CIA or the Navy SEALs from the President of the United States. This is something with more power and more authority. And it's to not just the disciples that are standing there, but it is known by Bible teachers that this is for all who would follow afterwards, all who would be discipled by the disciples all the way to 2016, here we are in Prineville. And so the authoritative resurrected God says, go because of my authority and make disciples or learners. And then listen to this, of all the nations. It's very important. I hope you have a pen or I hope you remember that, that these disciples are to be made from all the nations. And Mark's gospel puts it this way, go into all the world. Okay, so all the world. Just, just let these, these things that we're missing as a culture sink in just for a second. Go to all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. 
And so if you're wondering, which we do on the trail, is we're trekking in Nepal, we're like, oh man, okay, I just don't know if this is, this might not be the, you know, um, there's someone else up here. It's like, okay, you're not going to lose by just opening up your mouth and preaching the gospel. And when you look at Romans chapter 8, how all of created things, even like trees and, and flowers, they are craning their neck waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, waiting for Jesus to come back and, and just establish his kingdom on the earth. So you can preach the gospel to the weed and to the thistle and to the bee with the stinger, and you can say, oh, you may have the effects of sin now, but he is making all things new, and the gospel's changing the world. You get to preach the gospel to every creature. And so as we're preaching the gospel, we're making learners of all the nations. And with that, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is an external expression of an inward change in their hearts. And then we teach them. So what do we do in our discipleship? At the end of the day, we baptize our disciples, and then it might be 10-minute teaching, it might be an hour-long teaching, it might be what, but we are teaching them to observe everything Jesus has commanded us. And then we have the promise that that authoritative son of God who has conquered the grave, he is with us always in that commission, even to the end of the world. And then he says, Acts tells us in chapter 1 verse 8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in the commission, he says, I'm ascending and then you need to go down to Jerusalem and you need to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. When he comes upon you, you will receive a dynamite, dynamic power to where you're going to be able to open up your mouth and testify of me and the word witness is in the Greek marturo which means you will be able to witness to me to the point of even being a martyr and you're going to testify of me in three ways you're going to testify in Prineville locally the baptism with the spirit will give you power to be a bold witness here in Prineville and you will be able to be a bold witness as you go out regionally into Crook County and into Oregon and as you spread nationally and then as you even go uh, to the ends of the earth so the commission we have authority and we're given the power of God the Holy Spirit and he will give us we're chickens we're cowards we're scared we're like the disciples running away in the garden cowards Screaming like little schoolgirls, afraid, I can't do it. But he gives us the power of the Spirit to be able to do it against all odds to the point of being martyred for it. Just like he did with the disciples who were afraid and who were scared. And he says, you're going to have the power to do it here locally. Where you're among the kids that you went to grade school with. Where you've got a Nazarite type relationship. Isn't this that guy that was on my basketball team and that partied with me in high school? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? You have to preach the gospel to them. Regionally. Globally. And so we've got this mandate to go and to preach under the authority of what he has done and under the power of who he's placed within and upon us with the Holy Spirit. But then in the book of Romans, Paul tells us in chapter 10 
about these people who have yet to have been reached with the gospel. They've yet to have heard the great, com- um, the, the great gospel um, as people went out from the great commission. And he says, well, then how are they going to call on him in whom they've not believed? Now, the verse previous to this says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel has been preached to every creature. They call upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved. But, but how are they going to call upon the one that they've not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they've not heard? There's really a stair step here. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And then it's written, and we love this as a church, thinking of all those feet that have stepped into Merrill boots and Keen boots, you know, and, and lacrosses and, you know, and, and Solomon boots. And then we, we just start marching and preaching the gospel. How beautiful are those feet that they have to be powdered, you know, and then two sock liners, you know, and you put them in there and then you start marching up hills and preaching the gospel. And, and, and of course, this is applicable to anyone who's preaching, but we love this because it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. Man, at the end of the day, we get into these Nepali guest houses and we're wore out and we take our boots off and we just about pass out because it's just not pleasant and we got to put our boots outside as fast as we can and put powder in them be like oh man that's going to kill somebody but how beautiful are those feet that are going and preaching the gospel of peace and they're bringing the good news those good glad things now there's a breakdown in all of this and we're going to see that there are people who've never heard Because preachers were never sent. Therefore, people never heard. Therefore, people never believed. Therefore, people have never called on him. Therefore, these people have never been saved. And as we've gone through 2 Corinthians recently, we have found that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a ministry that that brings two warring parties back together. Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. And we are to go to these other parties and say, this kingdom wants to make peace. And Paul actually says this ministry is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And we go and we tell people of this just as ambassadors, you know, uh, to Russia, to China, to Iraq. They go and they try to keep peace and bring peace between nations. With that ministry, Paul tells us in another place in Ephesians chapter 6, He says, pray for me that I may open my mouth 
boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And he says, of which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So we are ambassadors. Paul was an ambassador and he cries out for the church in Ephesus, pray for me that as an ambassador, I'll do my duty and to speak peace, to speak the truth of the gospel and that ministry of reconciliation to those who've never heard. Now this commission actually goes back quite a ways. It goes back to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, you can flip back there and we've got it here, where God speaks a promise to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He speaks this promise later on, again in Genesis, to Abraham. In you all, the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And Galatians chapter 3 commentates on that, where Paul says that the seed is speaking about Jesus, the seed of Abraham. And so really what God the Father is saying is through Abraham's seed of Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's the word ethne. And scholars have found that that word trickles down, almost funnels down to even the smallest like people group such as An immediate family. An immediate family or a tribe or a tongue. It's through the seed of Abraham, Jesus, that all the families... So think of your family. All the the nations. All the peoples. This promise doesn't stop with Abraham. It goes on to Isaac in the book of Genesis. The same promise promise is spoken to Isaac and the same promise is spoken to Jacob that through this line and you can follow the line in the book of Matthew all the way down through you can follow it through in Luke the 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 genealogy of Jesus that here is this seed and through Jesus life will come to every family and to the whole world so we've got that in Genesis with Abraham, and you can actually go back even further to the creation account, where God trinitarily says, let us create man in our image. And so in the image of God, he created them male and female. And then he said, go now and be fruitful and multiply. What we have there in Genesis is called the doctrine of the Imago Dei, where God almost jeopardizes his own glory by creating something in his image that could actually totally screw up and mess up. And you know what? We did. And we messed up that going as image bearers. 
But through the gospel, he's putting back our fragmented natures and lives so that now those image bearers can go and reflect the glory of God to all nations. We see it in the creation account. We see it in the promises of Abraham. And then if you will allow the Lord to open up your eyes as you do your Bible reading plan throughout the week, look at all the mentionings of his heart to reach the Gentiles, to reach the non-Jews, to be exalted among them, to comfort them, to bring life and hope and love to them. It is saturated through the scripture. I'm going through a Bible reading plan right now and I have a special highlighter that tells me uh, that that I underline and it's green and it just tells me here's another place where his heart for the nations is shown. Here's another place where his heart for the nations is shown. All throughout the law, all throughout the prophets, all throughout the books of poetry, all throughout the books of history, all the way up to Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, paying for our sins, giving us new life, and then telling us to now go out and reach these nations that I have such a heart for. And then we have as another bookend in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7, where we see the result of this great commission, where before the throne of God, there are a group of people who are singing a new song, a song of worship because of salvation, and they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. They're singing to Jesus, by the way, the one who appears as the lamb who was slain. For you are slain, and you've redeemed us to God by your blood. So this has got to be the church. This has got to be those who've been saved by that lamb. And they say, you have saved us. You've redeemed us out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. The song is sung again in Revelation chapter 7. And so we have the finished work. We see that one day this will be done. One day, every ethne, every family, every people, every nation will have heard the gospel. They will have believed in the gospel. They will have called upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved and they will be in the presence of their creator and they will be worshiping him for what he has done. In the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper tells us and keeps us in a good perspective, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. And so I hope as you're here and as you get a little taste of Calvary Chapel, you don't leave here and tell your friends, they're all about missions there. We're all about worshiping Jesus. Missions is not the ultimate end of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate. Not missions. Because God is ultimate. Not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So all of that being said, seeing the commission from Jesus and the authority of Jesus and then the power given from Jesus by the Holy Spirit and then 
the, the Old Testament promises for the nation and the, Old, and the New Testament bookend that this will be done. What is the current state of gospel advancement? Romans chapter 15, Paul says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things that Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So here's Paul. He really wanted to be that apostle to the Jews. And the Lord said, nope, I'm going to make you an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he wants to make the Gentiles, the non-Jews. If you're not a Jew here, raise your hand. You're a Gentile. Okay. So Paul's ministry was to you. He says, I want to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem, Round about to Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. So Paul's saying, I'm a circuit preacher, okay? I'm preaching from Jerusalem, and as you look at a map, he's done these circles where he's went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, listen, not where Christ was named, okay? So we've got, we're, we're learning little phrases from the scriptures, of all nations, okay? Here we have, um, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. And so are there people who have no foundation of Jesus right now in the world? Are there people where Christ has never been named? I was watching a video today, and a man is talking to a Nepali woman. She's got this giant gold nose ring, and every now and then you come across some of these gals, it's just this giant, almost covers their top lip, you know. And he says, hey, have you met Jesus? And she says, no, because you've never heard of Jesus. And she goes, I think he lives up in that village up over there. So... Christ hasn't been named yet in, in these places. Are there those who have never heard that one day will understand? What is the current state of this global mission? We'll, we'll look at a couple different maps like this, but it's here that we see just a, a word that we're getting familiar with, and it's a word called unreached. Unreached unreached people groups. So just take a look at this and you see that the green has an established Christian gospel presence. And then all the way up to the red, these are places that are unreached. And we want to look at what does that mean? Here we have in the red, we have unreached, which few evangelicals and few who identify as Christians, there is little, if any history of Christianity. This is considered less than 2% evangelicals, okay? And it makes up uh, 40% of the world's people groups. There are 3 uh, billion, just over 3 billion of these unreached uh, people groups. Now, let me see if I can uh, hop over to the correct slide here. Okay, so before we get uh, much farther, in this big blue circle, 
It's estimated there's about 7.2 billion people in the world, okay? Um, and as you break that down into what we would just the best define the promise to Abraham of people groups or nations or ethnes, there's about 11,495 different people groups. And these are basically broken up because of ethno-linguistic it's, it's culture, it's language, primarily language is kind of the dividing factor, but it could also be geography that divides these people, uh, definite culture divisions. And so within that big blue world, just picture, you've got 11,500 uh, roughly people groups, okay? Now, the unreached, which were the red on that chart earlier, um, they make up about half of that population. 2.4 billion people or 6,800 people groups, okay? And so uh, just going back a second, um, we're talking about people who are less than 2% Christian. They are unreached. So about half of the population of this globe is considered unreached no to little gospel advancement okay but then you have this group that's just in bright red here and it's about a quarter of the population that's 3,250 people groups who are what are called unengaged unreached okay um, now if the orange unreached was code red because this is this is these are in dire straits. These are people that the gospel's not being preached. These are people where there's no active discipleship taking place. When you get into this red, red zone, I mean, the bombs are already dropping. I mean, the nuclear uh, reactor is, is overheated. Um, and this essentially means nobody's even considering going into these people to preach the gospel there. There is zero active evangelism and zero active church planting or discipleship taking place. And so that just gives us a bit of perspective of the task uh, that's remaining. Um, so here's a, just another chart to help illustrate. Um, there's about 16, this is a different uh, perspective on people groups. And, and so you've got maybe 11,000 people groups. Some are looking at it, maybe almost 17,000 people groups within that 6,741 unreached groups. That's about 40% of the population of the world that is unreached. Um, and so uh, there was the, the red and the orange and the yellow and the green. And that just shows about the progress level. Most of the world is in the red zone right now. Um, and, and there's a good part that has been reached uh, as well. Just really quickly... When we're talking about unreached people groups, there's, uh, the data tells us that like we are in Prineville, where, um, and we may, we may kind of be in the yellow zone there, but the more knowledge that we're given, we're preaching the gospel, we're telling the world, we've got radio programs right now, you can go get in your car, you can listen to CSN, you can listen to K-Love, you can listen to, you know, what's, Air, what's the one locally? Uh, New Life or something like, you know, um, I'm more of a Pandora guy. I'm not really a local radio guy, but, um, you know, and so the more knowledge that's out there, um, man, most of the time there's more openness in their attitude towards the gospel in the top right. 
Of course, as knowledge goes out, we can be like the Nazarenes, kind of be in the yellow there. Hey, I know everything about Jesus, and, and my heart is closed because of that. But definitely, where there's less knowledge, uh, then there's this definite closed-heartedness uh, towards the gospel. So there's this a spiritual awareness uh, graph uh, that we can look at as well. So, now... So we're learning a little bit here about God's heart for the nations. Present state of Christian advancement. Just under half the world is unreached with the gospel. Just about a quarter of the world is unengaged. No one's even thinking of going there. Or it's too dangerous to go there. There's no way I'm going there. I'll be killed. I'll be martyred. I'm not let in there. Maybe uh, part of the problem. And so with all that, we can look at the map of the world and we'll see that most of these areas that are unreached or unengaged with the gospel are within this geographical location that's called the 1040 window. Okay, the 1040 window. It's speaking of the longitude and latitude uh, degrees um, that, uh, that these nations and these places are. And so it, it reaches from the west coast of Africa uh, across central and all the way over to eastern southeast Asia. Uh, so you got all those nations there in the red that are in the unreached, least reached, or unengaged unreached areas. Okay, and so... Most of these unreached people groups are in that geographical location. There's about 4.89 billion people that live there, and that's about 8,000 people groups. It's about um, 5,000 unreached people groups. There's about 1,000 people groups not in that window that are considered unreached. So, you know, we're just kind of getting, so we asked the question at the beginning of today, why Nepal? You know, why are you making a big deal about Nepal? You know, why everywhere you go, are you talking about Nepal? You know, go buy a new pair of snow boots and you're sitting there talking to the guys. He's lacing them up. Have you heard about Nepal? Here's what, you know, and uh, specifically telling them, leading towards the talking about Jesus is really what I want to get to in my little boot conversation there. Okay, Rory, so, all right, I get it. Like, there's these unreached people groups and... It's red, so that's always bad. And green is always good, so, you know, we're doing okay. And, uh, but, you know, you know, Grandma was a missionary, and I've got a cousin that's a missionary, Rory, and we've done some missions work here. And so, you know, there's stuff going on, right? Like, we're doing pretty good. There's some good things happening, praise God. And in the last 2,000 years, there, there have been radical missionary movements, the evangelical Christians total about 550 million people in the world. And that's great advancement. You know, in 1500 AD, there were only 300 million Christians in the world. And so since 1500 AD, we've gone all the way up to 550 million people within Christianity. And within Christianity, there are 4.19 million full-time Christian workers. I'm in that number. Like, I'm full-time Christian worker. Praise God. 
But did you know that 95% of that, just like me, are working within the already Christian world? We're working in places that are reached. In fact, there are 900 churches for every one unreached people group. Could you imagine if 900 of us local churches got together and said, we're going for the Tamang people group. How long do you think that people group would stay unreached with the gospel? There are 78,000 evangelical Christians for every one unreached people group. So imagine if 78,000 of us evangelical Christians says, we're going for the Sherpa people in the Solokumbu region just under Everest of Nepal. 78,000 people, they're saying, if I'm not going, I'm giving. If I'm not giving, I'm praying. If I'm not praying, I'm, you know, like we are a part of this. How long would they stay unreached? There are 309, 315,000 400, uh, let me say this, I know statistics just blend in, so let me just say this, 309,000 foreign missionaries. That's good, right? That's like 77% of, of uh, let's see, what does that statistic come out of? Okay, we'll drop that percentage. All you need to know, 309,000 foreign missionaries. So that's good. That's like, there's 309 missionaries in the world. But, 77,000 of them are already going to heavily evangelized nations. Okay? Now that's pretty good, actually. It sounds bad, but that's pretty good. But listen to this. Only 13,000 of our 309,000 are going to the unreached. That is 3% of the world's missionaries going to <clears throat> the red zone. So you got almost 400,000 missionaries going out. And only 3% of them are going to the red zone. Okay, so hopefully you're just starting to get, okay, I'm starting to get it. Starting to understand some of the urgency here. The ratio here is one missionary for every 216,300 people. So as our little nine-person um, group goes to Nepal, essentially it's, Rory, get preaching. Because <laughs> you've got 216,300 people to reach in this two-week period. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just a giant number. And so God has a heart for the nations. And praise God, many of the nations are in the green. Like that's an incredible testimony of gospel advancement. At one time, they were in the red. But here we are currently. And the statistics are that we're in a gridlock. We're in a, we're in a jam. And we're just not going. And that's reflected in our finances. Essentially, for every one dollar given to the church, less than a penny 
is spent in reaching the unreached. Everybody who's considered a church member in the United States, all their income together is about $42 trillion. It's a lot of money. But those that would call themselves evangelical Christians, it's, it's about $7 trillion. And in that group, they will give to any Christian cause. And in our total giving to any Christian cause, we're at about $700 billion. One quote told me that until recently, Americans gave less money to reach the unreached than they spent buying Halloween costumes for their pets. It's about the amount we spend on American Christmas here in this country. In our $700 billion that we give to any Christian cause, $45 billion of that 700 is given to missions. There's just a small level of that that's given to missions. A lot of our Christian generosity is given to pastoral ministry of local churches. 96% of our giving is pastoral ministry and local reached churches. Money that goes towards unreached people is one one thousandth of a percent. So when $100,000 comes in, a dollar is given to the unreached. Let me just read some hypothetical observations from one church planting website. Evangelical Christians could provide all of the funds needed to plant a church in each of the 6,900 unreached people groups with only three hundredths percent of their income. It could be done. This Dreaming big, it says the church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. One, one just dreaming big said, if every evangelical gave 10% of their income to missions, we could easily support 2 million new missionaries. And this is something that comes not through just statistics being spouted, certainly not by any guilt trips being put, but it comes through a work of the Holy Spirit. It comes through a move of the Spirit through prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. You know, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, as he looked up and he just saw people that were hurting and in need and he said, oh my goodness, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And you say, hey, uh, you know, Peter, why don't you go get a statistics list on, uh, you know, the people and the numbers and all of this. And why don't you go and just hammer that down? No, he said, guys, Pray. Pray. That the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. 
know, as much as we have hearts for that red zone, what's a, what a beautiful thing that's happening right now is that the red zone is coming to us right now. The red zone is sending, you know, even red zones where Americans aren't even let in are coming to America. We have a high, high international student population in the United States and one of just our sister churches in Corvallis with Oregon State University being there uh, is just on fire for reaching the international students that come from uh, China, India, South Korea, Taiwan, Saudi Arabia, huge Saudi Arabia population there, Japan, Vietnam, which has one of the highest unreached people statistics, and Mexico and Turkey. And they know about the unreached and the, and the international ministry that's available for them. In fact, I was just listening to a vision message they gave after their fasting this year. And uh, they were just burdened during the fast for the international ministry. And uh, they had a financial board meeting and they said, okay, guys, like, we have such a heart for the international ministry. We've had a vision that with this big, beautiful church property that the, the nations were going to actually come to us here. Like, how's that even going to happen? And now this ministry is starting to roll. And so they said, okay, we're just dreaming big. And hey, um, Rick, you know, uh, write $90,000 on the whiteboard. You just said, what would our church do if $90,000 came in? Well, pay, you know, would we pay off this debt on this property or would we this or that or you know, hire more staff and bring people on full time? And they just began to dream like, oh my gosh, if we could just funnel that towards this international ministry and begin reaching people from the red zone. You know what happened probably within one or two weeks? A donation came into the church for $250,000 specifically for the international ministry uh, there in Corvallis. Like, that's how the Lord works. So we were talking among our financial board. We just had a quick get-together, and we just said, man, because we, we're trying to be wise and visionful of, like, what? Lord, bring more in so we can... And we're just like, oh, man, let's have that type of a heart. Now, we don't really have, like, the university here in this town. But did you know that China is sending pilots over to the Prineville Airport? To, to teach them how to fly and they live in little apartments here and they got nothing to do. And so DJ and I were meeting about our men's retreat and trying to plan this next fall and just praise God, DJ spoke to me. He's like, man, what if we like just invited some people that just don't ever hear and we just like focused on a group. We're like, what about the Chinese? Let's invite the Chinese pilots to the men's retreat and let's just bring them and we'll just shoot skeet and we'll play softball and, you know, we'll just love on them and maybe somehow they'll hear, you know, Jesus and through the translation, you know, oh, they're here. There's a book by J.D. Payne called The Stranger Next Door. There are unreached people all around us. Did you know Prineville has a Muslim population? Last Easter, I went out to buy some little Easter egg things to hide. It was after church, and I was like, there's nothing left. And I walk into Rite Aid, and there's Muslims shopping in Rite Aid. And they got the head burkas on, you know, and they're not buying Easter eggs. I probably shouldn't have been either. I don't know. And so I've just Googled, and it's like, where are these people meeting? Do you know they're up on Lower Davis Loop? They have like a little home fellowship up there. We praying for that? 
Have you, you mean know about that? We got a red dot, Prineville, Lower Davis Loop. And they are totally open to us just coming and sitting with them and talking. And there's been tremendous advancement in the Muslim communities by people just going and sitting with them and loving on them and conversations that go about Jesus. And we just live and love and talk. People are getting saved out of Islam. So part of this message is, what do we even do from here? I mean, I've got 278,000 people that like, I'm assigned to. Is that not a big task? We pray. And we're intentional about going. And when we're here, we're intentional about local going. We, man, this year's fast, we are, we are fasting about church finances. We are fasting about future in Nepal and what that looks like. And we are fasting about the unreached people next door because they are here. And just to continue my five minutes that I have here, I know because you guys were wondering where we were at on that little promise. Let your yes be yes, I guess. Let's just very quickly, so where's Nepal at on all of this? And then we'll go from there next week. So forgive the, the break and the to be continued and all of that. So Nepal, listen to this, had no Christians, zero Christians in 1951. How many of you, just be real, you were born before 1951? Just look around real quick. Tom, come on, raise your hand a little higher. <laughs> Melvin, come on. No, no one can even see you back there. Okay, so I don't know. We've got about 10 people in here who were born before 1951. Can you believe that there was this nation that we're going to? We were there three weeks ago. Shannon was there this week. And in 1951, there were no Christians. And then a guy got saved. And by 1961, there were 458 Christians. And then by 2001, there were nearly 102,000 Christians. A decade later, that number triples to 375,000 Christians. And now, Nepal has one of the fastest growing Christian populations in the world, according to the World Christian Database. Now that's exciting. And it's exciting to be a part of that. But the majority of these revivals are happening in the lowlands, south of the Himalayas, down in the valley, uh, close to India, from Kathmandu to south. And the majority of unreached people groups that we're looking at are up in the Himalaya region. They're in where there are Tibetan Buddhist uh, believers there. They're Tibetan Buddhist. And I just have to apologize real quick on the record. Greta Van Sestren. Really bad with numbers and you've probably already seen that today. Don't worry I'm not the only guy on the financial board around here. 
But, you know, I've read places and I'm trying to remember and, you know, I've just spouted out numbers like there's 350 thousand, no, 350 unreached people groups, case in point, in Nepal and only nine have ever heard of Jesus. And I just had to call the footstool project this week and go, I think I'm wrong on my statistic, like help me out here. And he said, you're thinking Himalayan, which is good. Uh, it's the Himalayan mountains where there are 259 people groups, okay? And it's just so crazy because it's so small, but because these mountains are so high and so treacherous and you just can't go anywhere, and because there's such a dark, demonic stronghold, and because there's such incredible Tibetan Buddhist persecution against Christians, there are they're just divided up into different languages and different cultures. And this guy, just around the bend in the mountain from this guy, they don't even speak the same language. And so there's 259. And out of that Himalayan band, only nine of these groups are considered reached. So our mission to these Tibetan Buddhists are that, that these, this band would be reached and would come to know Jesus. Let's just look real quick as we have hearts for the world. If uh, the big black circle is uh, a percent of population that are Christian, Guatemala is 90% in the purple. They're a 90% Christian country. USA, 78% Christian. This isn't, we're not talking evangelical or, you know, many of us just be like born again. Um, Nigeria, 48%. China, you know, so we get down smaller in the red. China is 5%. North Korea is even 4%. Pakistan, 1.6%. And then we have Nepal there in the white. It's the whole country. And then down here, 1.4% uh, Christian. As we look here, um, this is for the whole, this isn't just Tibetan Buddhists, this is Hindus as well. 250, according to Joshua Project, 250 people groups, 242 of them are unreached. That's 28 million people uh, there in that nation. Can't catch the text, so let's look over here. And 28,487,000, that's 99.1% unreached. 0.9% professing Christians. Now, I'm glad that this next little slide, I'm at zero, okay? So just start zipping your Bible cover up. I was hoping that this part, I just got to close with a story, okay? I was hoping that this part would be here while my good friend Tom is visiting. Okay, Tom, some of you guys might remember Tom yours. Wave your hand real quick, Tom. From Calvary Corvallis, dear, dear friend of mine and his girls who were in my youth group and just love the family. Um, but um, years ago, I remember Tom, and I was going to talk about this. I didn't know Tom was going to be here, so this is just crazy. Tom mentioned a book called The Heavenly Man. And The Heavenly Man, um, I just remember that title. I just remember him talking about reading this book, The Heavenly Man. And then years later, Jan Smith, who was a part of our church, uh, gave me the book, The Heavenly Man. And so I read it. And in this book, you've got a guy named Brother Yun who um, gets saved, doesn't have a Bible. So he fasts for, I think, 21 days or something. 
and the Bible comes to him. And like this revival begins to spread. Well, he's arrested there in China and, um, and they begin to beat him like to a bloody pulp. Um, in, his, in his history, he would be, be beaten hundreds of times, broken arms, broken bones. Um, but just to make it really short, like key highlights that a dude would totally remember is like, he would, he would be in prison, broken bones, and the Lord would just say to his heart, like, get ready to escape. Like, I can barely move, I can barely breathe, I've just been beaten, I can, like, and then, and he's like, and the Lord's like, okay, hey, get ready, get ready, and, and all of a sudden, like, his, his cellmate would come in from doing a chore, and the door wouldn't lock all the way, and so he, like, hears the Lord say, go, and so he, he, he busts out of the room, and his heart's beating, and he's like, oh no, now I'm, like, outside of my cell, and I'm gonna get caught, and then, like, there's another cell block within the cell and and then there's like a dude mopping and he like messes up on his shutting of that door and so he gets out that and he just keeps making it through these different cell blocks until finally he has to go through like the guards break room type thing and they're all there and the lord says go 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 and he walks right in front of the guards and they don't see him so much so to the point that the gates of the prison open up and he walks out and the Lord says, go preach the gospel. Okay. In another case, he's outside the inner wall uh, and uh, he's inside the outer wall. <laughs> There's a difference. I'm not good at math. <laughs> and the Lord picks him up and puts him on the other side of the wall and says, go preach the gospel. Well, our contact to Nepal, um, when I first met him, He's telling me the story of the Lord speaking to him as he was preparing to go start this ministry in Nepal. And the Lord said, I'm going to help you get a wise man from the east to Jerusalem. And our contact is like, what in the world is that? Like, is this a Christmas parable or something, you know, like wise men? And he, he kind of holds that in his heart and he doesn't really know what, what it meant. Until later on, as he would go to South Korea, where the Lord would call him, and as he's there in South Korea, he's in a, in a warehouse, and a Chinaman comes out from the back of the warehouse and tells him, I'm a wise man from the east, and you need to help me get to Jerusalem. And it turns out that our contact ends up being a dear friend who would rescue Brother Yun out of China into Germany and get him to safety. Now, all that to be said is that Brother Yun is now part of a ministry called Back to Jerusalem. And their vision is, as their 5% Christian population, their vision is to begin sending out their own persecuted Christians, 100,000 of them a year, and to get them into the unreached mountains of the Himalayas and to get them into this 1040 window and to begin preaching the gospel. But their vision is that the Himalaya mountains are so dark and they're such a stronghold that if the gospel could penetrate those mountain ranges, that it would be like a dam breaking and the gospel would go back the old ancient silk road all the way back uh, into Jerusalem uh, and, and essentially the gospel would begin reaching these unreached areas in the Middle East and in Central and Southeast Asia. 
And so that's part of the vision that God has like linked us with. As we're here in Prineville and we don't really totally know what we're doing all the time, but we just go to prayer and fasting and the Lord sits us next to contacts who are contacts who are part of this great vision to reach the red zone. And so next week, we're going to be looking at why is this nation so red? And we're going to spend a little time with the Hindu population there, but um, we're going to spend a little more time with the Tibetan Buddhists, which is where our ministry is. And we're going to be sharing stories of like miraculous things. Because you remember back in Romans chapter 15, when Paul is talking about going where another man hasn't gone and building not on another man's foundation, but he says, I go there and I preach the gospel and it's with accompanying signs and wonders. And we're going to share stories next week of these Tibetan Buddhists that are in some of the most dark and demonic in scary places, we're going to be talking about because it's so dark and because it's so demonic, even our own team experiences intense and incredible warfare just to get there, even to pray or even to hand out tracts. And so I encourage you to come out next week as well and to be a part of this why Nepal, what's the big deal? Like, why don't we just kind of chill out and hang out here and, and just grow here? We want to make sure that we're also sharing that it's really good to grow here. And it's really good to evangelize here. But we also have a call to over there. So let's pray.